We've been talking about discipleship for three weeks. We're going to continue with a few more weeks in that theme. But as as we prepare to do so and as we go on, I just would like some feedback in terms of what we've been talking about and what impact, if any, there has been in anybody's life as we've been talking about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Anybody have anything to share? Alrighty. Now remember, this is about stuff we've been learning about being a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus. If you're listening to you talk about being a disciple, I took the plunge and went to a mini church. All right. All right. <laughs> We're going to talk more about that fellowship too in the next coming weeks. Good. You haven't been here in two weeks, yes. Okay. That's it. Message really has impacted people, huh? Anya? All right. Have to go back to the shirt, yeah. Well, this is something that I've been praying about for a long time, and I guess this just kind of came into the the realm of things, but I um, was offered a new job where I can finally commit to some things with the church because my old job, it was like, well, I don't know. I'm working 12 hours. I don't know if I'm off that day. And I said to myself then, you know, well, no, I didn't say to myself. God said to me, well, why are you still at this job then? So um, a job came to me that I can, you know, be here on the weeknights and on most of the Sundays and Saturdays. So, yeah, I praise God for that. Wonderful. Well, I'm happy for that. Everybody's looking down or hiding from me. Ruth, anything in terms of discipleship? God doing anything and something new happening in your life? Come on out here. Come on out here. That's all right. Come on. Stand up. Come on. Howard wants to talk to you. Stop. It's so embarrassing. I'm having trouble with your message. <laughs> it's more than cha- it's more than challenging. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't measure up last week. Yeah, none of us can measure up. Right. So I got before the Father yesterday, and I just sort of threw myself at his. You know, I sat him down in my chair and I had coffee with him, and I felt really. Um, lost you know because i i do we i take your message seriously maybe a little bit too much sometimes you know no (laughs) anyway i was feeling condemned you know i really got under that kind of and uh so i just threw myself at the father's feet and after i said i'm not measuring up in my own way you know, I'm really good at And uh, I just said, you know, and I said, I don't even know what to tell you. I don't know how to pray about this. And then um, the phone rang. And from that day on, as I was walking to the phone, well, after I hung up, it was Howard. The Lord said, I am ordering your day today. And it was the most glorious day. It was. And it was like, you know. I just have to rest in His grace and in His peace and, and just 
I'm doing the best I can, you know, and that's all I need to do is just put myself before the Father, you know, confess my sins every day, get uh, the full armor of God on, and he'll order the rest of the day. That was great, Ruth. All right. Your wife is very eloquent, Howard. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, does Jesus mean for us to obey him? Oh, surely, absolutely. But remember, he doesn't mean for us to do it in our own strength, does he? But we're always doing things in our own strength, aren't we? We're always striving, we're always trying to perform for each other and measure up and so forth. When you discovered again, I'm sure again, as we all do again and again and again, the wonder of God's grace, he's working in me. And he just wants us to keep looking up at him, doesn't he? Keep looking up at him. We, we said the whole, the whole context of this is what? Is a relationship with him. We're called to him. There's no way I can obey unless I am with him. And he is in me, living his life out in my life. And uh, I don't think there's a person in this room who, taking their Christianity seriously, hasn't felt the very things that you felt, Ruth, in terms of under it, can't measure up. And I think that's a good thing. Why would I think that's a good thing? Because it forces us to get back on our face before the Lord, forces us to say, God, correct my perspective again. You see? So my job is to make you uncomfortable. If I can make you uncomfortable, then hopefully you'll go to the Lord and let him comfort you. That's exciting. Right, Larry? Now, Larry Couch, I can't make that guy uncomfortable. He is as cool as a cucumber. This guy is un unflappable. <laughs> okay, somebody else. Ken? In the context of, uh, first of all, Hope Chapel is my home. This is where I belong. But I do on occasion have a ten, or a, an opportunity maybe to visit another church once in a while for a service. And I did that this morning. You'll never guess what the message was on. Don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, God is doing something with his church. So, uh, yeah, discipleship. It's on his heart. It should be on ours. That's all. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ken. Larry? I'm learning how to be cool. And it's, it's found right here in uh, Psalm 91. This is how we can overcome feeling condemned when we uh, rest in him. And uh, I read this uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, we find a refuge in him, period. And uh, that's what Psalm 91 is all about. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And that is a key word right there, is, is putting our trust in Him. Surely He will save you from the fowler's, sna fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. 
You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. If I could tell you how inadequate I am at work, you would understand the thousands that have fallen at Hughes Aircraft, and yet I remain. I have nothing to fear. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. You will make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge. Then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And this one blew me away. It says, because he loves me, says the Lord. And I'm learning to do that. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. And there's another key word, acknowledges my name. That's what it's meaning to me to be a disciple is, is acknowledging him in everything. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. A long life, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So that really speaks to me. That, it, that we take refuge in him. We acknowledge his name. We're not like the, uh, the unbeliever who forgets God, but we acknowledge him. And he is our shelter. So that's what I'm learning about being a disciple. Appreciate that, Psalm 91. Rich psalm. Well, I want to continue talking to you about discipleship, and we want to move on to the next phase in our discussion. And that is, uh, is anybody serving? So we want to talk about that aspect of a true disciple um, called to serve. So we've already established that a true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is what? What's the first thing? Called by Jesus. So, so I have been called personally by Jesus. But that call by him is also what? A call to him to be in relationship with him. Interpersonal relationship. Intimate relationship. Much as Larry read in, the, in that, in that uh, Psalm 91, uh, finding shelter with him. Loving him. Being in relationship with him knowing and be fully confident that he loved me first with a love that knows no bounds, knows no limits, is undying, he loves me. So I've been called by him, to him, and I've also been called to, we said from last week, called to obey him. And again, he says, based on the idea of relationship, he says, now if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And lest we lay a heavy burden on ourselves, this obedience, this idea is that we are pressing on into obedience, right? We're learning to obey. We're learning to obey. We're continuing that process of obedience. And certainly there will be times when the Lord speaks to us. And he says, do thus and such. He does it through the word. He convicts our heart through the word. And we know 
that we, we're at a point of decision, aren't we? But we're also confident that he's working in us and he will give us and has provided for us all that we need to actually take that step and, and be obedient. Now, if we disobey, does he hate us? Does he hate us? Does he kick us out of the kingdom? Does he say, no more, I've had it with you? No, no, he loves us. Paid a heavy price to get us, right? Right, what was the price? His life. He's not about to let us slip through his fingers. Of course, that doesn't mean that he won't also take us to the divine woodshed and get us, help us back on track, you know, a little incentive to want to obey. But as a, a kind of a corollary to this idea of call to obey, we're also called to serve. Now, if we look into the New Testament, if you look at, uh, if you have your Bibles, are open to Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Now, if you notice in your notes, I didn't write out the verses this time for you. I left them big blank spaces. And what I'd like to ask you to do, if you would, is when you go to mini church this week, if you would, in anticipation of mini church, in other words, before you get there, uh, presumably a day or two or so, if you would look up these verses and you would write them out in the blanks provided in your own words, if you would paraphrase them. Now, that's a difficult thing. A lot of people have trouble doing that. I have trouble paraphrasing things, so I have to sit down and have to really think what's this really saying and just just refashion the verse, but in my own words, uh, because I find that it helps me, uh, it stays with me if I can do that, and, and I understand the passage a little bit better. So I just want to experiment and see if this is a help and an encouragement to you, especially those of you that are actively participating in mini-church. If you'll use those blanks the next day or two, and look up the verses and write them out in your own words, okay? Now, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, we see this, this call to service. Jesus tells his disciples, now this is the 12, he tells them he's going to send them out on a mission, and they're to go into to, to, to various households, they're pronounced peace on the house and so forth, and they're to do four things. What are the four things that they're to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and drive out demons. So he gives them work to do in terms of service. Now, as they, as they step out in ministry, aren't they serving the Lord by serving people, by meeting those needs? See, so there's, there's, there's right there, there's a commission. Not only has Jesus called us uh, to him, to be with him, but he's also commissioned us, as we see, uh, to ministry, to serve. Now, if you flip over to Mark chapter 1, okay, just a few pages further, in your New Testament, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Now, we see the call here of Simon and Andrew. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Do you see that? The call to Simon and Andrew. And Jesus says to them that he will change them into what? Fishers of men. Now, they're very good fishers of fish. They don't need to be taught how to do that. But he says, I'll make you, I'll transform you into fishers of men. Now, think of the, of the significance of that. Think of the, think of the impact of that. How many... 
of us are, are nervous about approaching somebody and about evangelizing and talking and being open. I mean, really, truly. Most Christians are. And there's a number of reasons, but, but I think what really can help us is the fact that we see that Jesus here says, I will make you fishers of men. He's doing it. He's doing it. But part of, the, part of our perspective has to be that, that I am called to serve. Part of serving is to reach out and facilitate the process of people coming to Jesus. Is that, isn't that the greatest service that we can offer? Is to bring people from, you know, as Zechariah says, to pluck them as a brand from the fire, to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus, to, to introduce them to our Savior so that they have a new life, new hope. That's the greatest service, isn't it? To lead someone to Christ, to disciple that person. You go further on into the New Testament, and we see when Jesus sends out the 70, again, he tells them to do essentially the same things that he did for the 12, that they're to go out and that they are to minister. Now, over in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells his disciples that he had come to be served, right? Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He had come to be served, and certainly not to serve. No? He didn't say that, Anna? What did he say? Huh? That's right. He came to serve. Now, what was the extent of his service? To lay his life down for others. Now, why does he say that? Just to inform them? What's his purpose? What's his motive in telling them this? Because he expects them to do the same. He expects them to follow his example. Now, I have a question for you. Do you think that the disciples understood that? I mean, if you read through the Gospels and Jesus tells them this, do you think they, they understood what Jesus was saying? No, of course not. See, he repeatedly, and I say repeatedly because we just have a couple of instances, but you have to know in a period of three and a half years, these issues had to come up a number of times. Do the issues come up in our lives a number of times? We, get it, we think we get it settled. Does it ever rise again? Something in our life that we thought we had taken care of? We learned a lesson? I think Jesus repeatedly found that his disciples fell into two equal but opposite temptations which crippled their spirit of service, which crippled their understanding of what he's calling them to. Two things really can affect us and lay us low in terms of our, our ability, our understanding, and our willingness to truly serve. Now, the first thing is this, ambition. Ambition. We have an account in chapter 20 of Matthew of the disciples arguing who was the least among them. They're fighting for the lowest seat. Aren't they? Ken, are they fighting for the lowest seat? No, no. They're battling for what? 
position. They're jockeying. They're trying to establish the pecking order. You know, who's the greatest among us? Now, when they do this, now it's not only just James and John, but the other disciples, when they find out what James and John's mom is trying to do for them, get these guys set up for the kingdom, you know, the other disciples really get upset. They say, hey, man, what about us? We ought to be in there too. They're demonstrating the spirit of the world that seeks status over service. Status over service. They're, they're, they're ambitious for their own position. They're ambitious for their own recognition. They're not ambitious for the kingdom of God. It's very clear by Jesus' rebuke to them. And he does rebuke them, doesn't he? What does he say to them? Whoever wants to be great among you must be what? Must be your servant. He says, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And again, he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom as many. As, he says, look, this is, this, is the, this is the way we're going. You guys are, you guys are all concerned about who's recognizing you and, and having position and, and attaboys and all that stuff. And, and that's of the world. And you've got to understand that, he says to us. And, and he says, I, I, want you to, I want you to follow me. I want you to understand you've become a Christian. And in, that, in the context of obedience, that's a call to serve. Now you say, well, all right, lay my life down, huh? Hmm. Is he serious about that? Sure. Absolutely. Now that leads us to the, the second of these temptations. And that is the temptation to feel self-pity. Have you ever given and given and given and, and kind of felt taken advantage of? Kind of felt like, well, but I've given. I've done all this. What about me? What's going to happen to me? Absolutely. This is the other end of the spectrum from ambition. But it's still a self-focus. We see in Luke chapter 18. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 18. Is this okay flipping back and forth? All right. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 18. This is the passage where Jesus interacts with who? The rich young ruler. That's right. And so they have this conversation. Jesus lays out for the rich young ruler the cost of discipleship. He calls him to be a disciple, doesn't he? He says, come follow me. Be with me. And the guy declines. He says, well, I'm not ready. I have to pray about it. Not time yet. Now look at what his disciples, how, he, how they react is. He says to them, Jesus says, verse 24, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Why? Because money is their God. They've become to depend upon money, and that's a real stumbling block, Jesus is telling us. How hard it is for them. He doesn't say it's impossible, but it's really hard. He says, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's really hard (laughs) to put a camel through the eye of a sewing needle. Luke is a physician, and if you look into the Greek text, the word for needle is the same word for a sewing needle. A physician would use to sew somebody up. So it's make, he's making it very clear. So the disciples now, look at this, look at their, Peter says, it's always Peter. Those who heard this asked him, who can be saved? Jesus replied, well, it is impossible with men, it's possible with God. Peter said to him, well, we've left all to follow you. We've given everything up. So what's to become of us? What are we going to get? And Jesus assures them, what? He says, look, let me, let me assure you, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. When you receive eternal life in this life, isn't it more than you could ever hope to have? The hope of glory? Absolutely. So you see the disciples, and and, and certainly in the person of Peter, they're feeling pity, self-pity. They're feeling like, we've we've given up all. And uh, I would suggest that We certainly need to be honest about our life, be honest about our weaknesses. But the moment we fall into self-pity, we hinder God's working in our life. And all of us are just as easily succumbable to both of those temptations, aren't we? Ambition, status, and on the flip side, the other end of the spectrum, self-pity. What about me? What about me? I've, 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 I've done all this. And the bottom line is that now you, you've got to say, well, what's my motivation? Why am I serving? Really? Is it just for me? Just to get the goodies? Or am I serving uh, for some other reason? Why would somebody want to serve in the kingdom of God? Why do you suppose? Anybody? Anybody have a clue? It's the right thing to do? Because we love God. Yeah. Because we love God. Because He's called us to this. Now, let's take it a step further. When we, when we accept our weakness and our frailties... This goes along, Ruth, with what you said earlier in sharing your testimony. When we accept our frailties and our weaknesses, our inabilities, and at the same time know that God's grace is sufficient, then we can be ambitious for God's kingdom alone. God's grace is sufficient. I'm weak. I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. 
But that doesn't mean that I'm going to sit down and not do anything, not participate, not be active. doesn't mean that I'm going to be pitying myself. Oh, poor me, I can't do anything. All it means is that I know that God's grace is sufficient in my life. God's empowerment. God's moving me. I just need to be willing to cooperate with Him. To say what? Yes, Lord. Receive the commission. Receive the call. Be willing to serve. And His grace will infect in my life that service. And my motivation, I should be ambitious for God's kingdom. Why for the longest time we said, for the kingdom. For the kingdom. We sign off with each other, for the kingdom. Because that's where we realize that we're all about. We are for the kingdom. Not our own kingdom, but God's kingdom. We pray, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Now, that's the only way in which we'll be able to really truly serve others serve Christ in serving others, be ambitious for his kingdom, trusting in his grace, knowing that his grace is sufficient. He will provide me with whatever I need. I understand my weaknesses. I understand my inadequacies, but I'm not going to wallow in them. I'm not going to let them inhibit me. I know that his grace is sufficient. I want his kingdom to grow and expand and be glorified. Now, what about the servant? Does a servant have the right to dictate the conditions of service? Huh? No, no. Can you imagine the servant saying, well, I'll serve here, but I won't serve here. I don't do windows. That sort of thing. You know, we, we set our own conditions. And Christians are notorious for that, huh? So well, I, I'll serve this, this, this area or this far or this much. But much more makes me uncomfortable. So we begin to dictate the conditions of our own service. A servant doesn't do that. Nor should a servant have to be asked to serve. Isn't that true? Can you imagine a servant, the the, the master of the house, coming and saying, Would you serve today? Would you serve today? No, the servant knows his place. He knows his responsibility. He doesn't have to be asked, nor does he dictate the conditions of his service. Two critical things for us as we understand our call to serve. You say, well, I'm not not sure where to serve. Where do you live? (laughs) Where do you live? Start at home. Start in your own personal sphere of influence. Your husband, your wife, your parent, your 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 a child, a sibling, your everybody has a, a personal sphere of influence in which they can start serving, huh? You just look around and say, "Oh, I think I'll serve that person. I think I'll serve my my neighbor. I think I'll 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 begin to reach out. I'll begin to." To, to pray for them. I'll begin to smile at them. I'll begin to... I mean, you start at the most elemental levels. And then you find yourself moving further and further into, I mean, giving yourself to service. But we're not dictating the conditions of our service, nor do we have to be asked. The Lord doesn't come and say, Gosh, would you, would you guys serve? 
That's inherent in the call. It's inherent in the call. Now we have, in our modern times, the tendency to present Jesus as the one who will meet all your needs, don't we? And, and we, we really advertise Jesus now, don't we? That's part of the philosophy of our, day, our age. We, we have billboards, you know, come to Jesus, he'll meet your needs. And we hand slick flyers out and we have TV and radio. And, and Jesus really is merchandised quite effectively today, isn't he, in our society? Right? Sure he is. Absolutely. We tell people, you know, are you anxious? Are you anxious? Christ will bring you peace. Are you lost? He'll help you find your true direction. We ask them, are you depressed? He'll fill your life with joy. Isn't all this part of the good news of Jesus? Is it legitimate to offer these things? Yes. Does Jesus long to meet the needs of mankind? Absolutely. But you see, that's only half the story, isn't it? It's only half the gospel. We also must introduce people to this idea of service. We come to Jesus, respond to his call, begin to learn how to walk in obedience and in service. And we find it in the vast majority of the cases in our life, our needs will be met as we give our lives in service to him and to others. You ever notice that to be, be true? You've got some, some need in your life, some shortfall, personally, emotionally, relationally, materially in some sense. And, and you focus on it, you focus on it, and it's still not, nothing's happening, nothing's moving. And all of a sudden you just think, you know, I... I'm going to start serving the Lord no matter what. And as you start serving the Lord, all of a sudden, these things back here that have been so troubling now begin to get taken care of. Anybody ever had that happen in their life? I mean, the classic example is someone who's depressed, right? What do we tell a depressed person? Get out and go serve somebody. Go minister. Go give your life away. And those who will believe it, and, and we explain this dynamic to them, if you'll go do it, I mean, you don't, even, you don't even have to be a Christian to do this. God's built a principle in the universe. If you just give your life away, you're going to get what? Blessed in return. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 10 again, verse 39. Jesus says, those who are willing to lose their lives will, what? Find them. See, and we've grown up, we've grown up trying to find our life. Trying to find meaning and fulfillment and purpose in, in, in our work and in our relationships and all this stuff. And, and we're... This is your life. How? How should I lose my life? 
What are we talking about? Serve. Serve. Begin to serve. Begin to serve, he says. And then what? Then you'll find it. Then you'll begin to know what life's all about. Then you begin to be filled with joy and peace and uh, enthusiasm for life. Your life won't be empty and boring and meaningless and frustrated. and You won't be wearied out by doing nothing, but rather wearied out by doing great things for Christ's sake. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Who knows that verse by heart? Luke 6, 38. Giselle, what does it say? That's right. Give and it will be given to you. Now notice, it doesn't say give and maybe it'll be given to you. It says it will be given to you. And it'll be given to you how? Abundantly. God, same thing that Jesus said earlier. When he said, look, when Peter, <clears throat> I'm telling you, You've given your life. That's, that's great. Left all. Don't worry about it. Let it go. Because what you've given will be replaced with much greater things. So the same principle is true. We see this idea of giving. Being a giving person. Being a person who's giving my life in service. Giving my time. Giving my energy. Giving my resources. Whatever gifts, talents, abilities God has given to me. That I am going to serve other people. And in so doing serve Christ. So we just look around. We say how can I serve? Where are the needs? Who's in my life? How can I serve you today? We ask these kinds of rhetorical questions. And... And pretty soon the answers become very obvious to us. Now the question is, will I? Does that make sense? When the 70 went out to preach, we said earlier Jesus sent the 70 out to preach and to minister and, and so forth. When they went out, do you suppose that they were filled with joy when they went out? Huh? Were they? Stand up. I want you to go out. I want you to go out. I'm commissioning you to go out. I want you to heal the lepers. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to preach the good news of the kingdom. Now go. Amen. Are you excited? Yes. Really? What's the real feeling inside you? Scared. You, that's right. You're scared to death. If he for one moment thought that I was absolutely serious about sending him out right now to do it, his life would be full of terror. Anybody can relate to that? But they did it. Now, okay, because Jesus sent him out. I sent him out two by two, so they weren't alone. It's nice to go with a partner going, are you scared? Yeah, I'm scared too. <laughs> so he sends him out. Now when they come back... What's, their, what's going on with them when they come back? They are full of joy. Their heads are going, woo, woo, woo. They can't stop talking about what has happened as a result of them going out and serving and meeting needs. But isn't that true? When we actually do it, when we actually begin to give our life, no strings attached. 
We're not trying to get anything from anybody. We see a need and we're going in there not to be recognized to do it. And we're not feeling sorry for ourselves because we gave up our time and our energy because we did it. But we just went and served because we love the Lord and we want to advance His kingdom and His cause in people's lives. We want to meet needs. What happens in us when our motivation is right and we go out and do that? What happens in us? Anybody, anybody ever have that happen? You're just filled with joy. You're just, you're just you're walking on a cloud. You can't touch the ground. You're going, I mean, you could have just poured yourself out into this service thing, whatever it was, but you come away from it, what? Just filled. Just filled. There's nothing more exciting to our life than to serve. Serve Him. Truly. Is the world crying out? Does the world have needs? Does God love the world? People all around us, aren't in that true? People all around us. He says to us like He said to His disciples. He says, go. Go tell people. Go touch their lives. Go make a difference. Go serve them. And don't hold back. Don't think, well, I I can only give so much. Go for it. Follow my example, he says. Just as the Son of Man will lay his life down for others. So we don't look around to be served. We look around to serve. Beloved, if we are consumed with our own personal needs or if we are looking for position and status in the church, we shall be of little use to God. Little use. He wants us to come. He wants us to throw ourselves into the work trusting in him he'll provide the resources he'll provide the rewards so we don't have to worry about the resources we don't have to worry about the rewards we don't have to worry about anything at all we just have to say yes Lord look around and step into service trusting his grace ambitious for his kingdom alone for his will not ours. And it's always going to be a challenge to us, isn't it? But again, we, we have to have this perspective constantly reminding ourselves service. I'm called to serve. Not for my glory. For His. Amen? Now we're going to have communion together. And it's a wonderful time for us each to reflect on our relationship with the Lord because of his death for us and also an opportunity for us to rededicate, recommit ourselves to relationship, rededicate ourselves to obedience, rededicate ourselves to service. So think about it. And at the bottom of your notes, I included some questions for possible mini-church application you know who who am I serving who am I serving 
What's my motivation? Uh, what benefit really is accruing to my, to my life as a result of it? Just thoughtful, reflective questions. The communion ushers are, are going to be prepared now to pass out the communion elements. If you are with us for the first time and you're a Christian, we invite you to take communion with us. If you feel unworthy, uh, we are all unworthy. Communion is for the unworthy. It is for those of us who desperately need to be reminded of and to be refreshed by the grace of God through communion. So I encourage everybody, uh, if you're a Christian, to take part at the Lord's table. And uh, again, if you're new, the protocol is the elements we pass down through the rows. Take a little piece of cracker, a little cup of juice, hold on to them, and I'll come back and we'll all receive communion together in just a moment.
when you discover the secret of Christianity. Really. The grace and the mercy of God. When God touches your life, you're never the same. Some of us haven't been touched in a while. We need a fresh touch. We need a new dose of encouragement, strength, hope. Some tonight are wavering in their faith and find themselves kind of just going through the motions, maybe just hanging on. Others have taken a step back and they're just kind of checking things out all over again and wondering. Some of us are struggling with sin. (coughs) Obedience. Many of us are dealing with the issues of service as we've talked tonight and laying our life down in our home, in the ministries that we've found ourselves involved in. How far do I go? How much of myself do I give? When do people start giving back to me? It's easy to fall into a trap. But right now we just put all that aside and we remember Jesus. Remember his death on our behalf in fact he took our sins and our guilt upon himself such amazing grace to us we don't deserve it we never could we could never earn his his love we could never perform enough so that he could say well okay now you deserve it We put that on each other, but he doesn't put it on us. He says, if you just just believe that I love you, if you just take that step of faith, put your life in my hands, trust in my grace, that you might know my love, and you'll love me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. There is no other name which is given to men under heaven by which they must be saved. There is only one name. And he says, remember me. Remember me. Remember me. Again, he's always calling us back to that relationship, isn't he? Now, just these sweet, still moments. We do remember. All the hustle and bustle is outside. We're, we're quiet in our spirits. We've had some things to think about. Now we put it all into context and we say, yes, yes, Lord. Of course. It makes sense. And we're refreshed and we once again reaffirm our commitment to, to him, to obey him, 
and to serve him. Because we're reminded of what he's done. Our only response could be that we would lay our lives down, as Paul says, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him, keeping in view his mercy to us. So with that, we take the elements and we remember Jesus and each one of us in our own hearts. We set our attitude and we say, Lord, yes, it's all I can do. It's all I want to do. I want to be a faithful servant of yours. And I do want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't mean it to be a burden. He means his service to be a joy, to be exciting, and to come out of a life that is continually being transformed, as Paul says, from glory to glory. It's exciting to be a Christian. It's a whole new life that we get to live. He said, this is my body. Take and eat. Lord, as we eat this cracker, reminded of your body, we look to you for your strength and for the courage to step out and be faithful servants for your glory. As we drink this cup, we're reminded of your blood poured out, made the total final payment for all of our sins. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Oh Lord, we are thankful for your great gift of salvation, the death that you died in our place. Hell does not await us Eternal separation does not await us, but eternal glory, absolute perfection, and an eternity of serving you unhindered by these old sinful broken bodies. Oh God, how we look forward to that new day. And we remember you. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. To Jesus. Oh, it's great to be a Christian. Amen. Hallelujah, isn't it? Amen. 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 And it's great to be part of his body. Isn't that true? Well, let's stand and sing that song we sang earlier one more time. Part of this body. We are joined by your love. We're baptized into one body. Help us see how we fit in that we may glorify your holy name. I'm a part of this body. Servant indeed, let me serve in my calling that the body may. 
Testimony in the heart. 